God, how sweet it is to worship you and your spirit being here and just an opportunity to worship you and seek you tonight is so refreshing as we come to our midweek service. And we ask God, just as you've been refreshing our heart already, that you would uh, continue to speak to us, God, and move upon us, Lord, as we open your word. I ask for your Holy Spirit to touch this time. We ask and call out for your presence, God, to be made known to us as we study your word, God, and that we would see you in a greater way and find great security in you, Jesus, just through studying your word. So we thank you for being here. We pray for the anointing of your spirit, and we ask this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. 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 The governor of Massachusetts was in line at a church barbecue. Now, he hadn't eaten, so he was starving, and Governor Herder moved down the serving line and held out his plate to the woman taking care of the chicken. She put one piece on his plate and turned to the next person in line. Excuse me, Governor Herder asked, do you mind if I have another piece of chicken? Sorry, the woman told him, I'm supposed to give one piece of chicken to each person. But I'm starving, said the governor. The woman said, sorry, only one to a customer. Now, the governor was usually pretty polite, humble kind of guy, but this time he decided to throw his weight around, so to speak. Being so hungry, he thought, well, I got to get more chicken, right? So he spoke up and he said, do you know who I am? I am the governor of this state. Well, the woman came right back and said, do you know who I am? I'm the lady in charge of the chicken. Move along, mister. (laughs) Well, we know who's in charge, right? And in command. Well, tonight, as we continue in our book of Luke, Jesus and the disciples come face to face with a man who's possessed with many demons. Not just one, but thousands and thousands of them. But Jesus delivers this man simply by the word of his command. So I've titled our message here tonight, The Commanding Power of Jesus. The Commanding Power of Jesus. Now, we're going to continue on here from verse 26 through 39 tonight. That's our passage. We last left at verse 25. So we're going to go on to verse 26. And we're going to see three things here tonight. We're going to see the, the strange reception. Number two, the strange request. And number three, the strange rejection. So those are the three things we're going to see in that. That's our outline tonight. So number one, in our outline, the strange reception, the strange reception. Now, for those of you taking notes, we're going to be covering verse 26 through 30 in this section. But first of all, let's take a look at the first two verses for tonight, verse 26 and 27. Did I say 26? 26 through 30 is our section. Did I say that? Oh, okay. My brain. Anyway, 26 and 27 right now. Then they sailed to the country of the uh, Gerasenes, which is opposite Galilee. When Jesus had stepped out on land, there met him a man from the city who had demons. For a long time he had worn no clothes, and he had not lived in a house but among the tombs. So we'll stop right there. Now we begin here how Jesus and the disciples, they sailed now to the country of the Gerasenes, or um, we, you may have known this by the Gadarenes also. It's on the southeast area of the Sea of Galilee. It's, it's uh, uh, kind of on the opposite of the shore from where they came from in Capernaum. If you remember, 
They sailed. Remember last week we saw how they were caught in the middle of the lake in the middle of a storm. If you missed that, you can grab that on our podcast or YouTube channel. Uh, but remember, they just gone through the storm. Jesus stills the storm. And now they arrive here at Geras. Uh, I can't even say this. <laughs> Gerasa Sinis. I'm, I'm so used to Gadarenes, but yeah, there you go, Gadarenes. But um, I guess it's known for both those names, and ESV is translated in this way. And understand this too, that this area is really a Gentile area. On the opposite side of Galilee, which is like the northern county of Israel, that was more a Jewish area. So this is on the opposite side of the lake, and it's more like this Gentile area. And so when they reached the shore there, they were met with a man possessed with demons. Now he's running around here. We get the description here. He's running around for a long time. He wore no clothes. He had not lived in a house. He was homeless, basically. And he was running around, living around in where the tombs are, all the graveyards and everything like that. And he, he, he was there going crazy. Mark 5 tells us that he was crying out and also cutting himself. In the parallel passage, Mark tells us that. So here's Jesus. Here's the disciples. They finally reach shore and they meet this demon-possessed crazy man. So this is a strange reception. Who comes to meet them? but this demon-possessed man. Now, can you imagine, after this big storm, then arriving on shore, and here's this man coming out of the darkness, right, screaming. I believe it's probably still dark. Um, remember, they left when it was dark, and they got caught in the middle of the lake in the storm, and they reached shore. Maybe it's about the dawn or so, but maybe it's still middle of the night or, or so. But here's this man coming in. He's screaming. I can imagine his hair all matted, you know, a long beard, and he's all tank, uh, he, his clothes is no clothes really and you know he's just all messed up here talking crazy he's filthy he smells and he's uh, there's fresh cut, cuts you can smell blood from the fresh cut, cut. so it must be kind of gross right and it's at the same time maybe kind of scary because here's this guy coming out ah you know kind of thing so I, I, I kind of wonder too, I wonder if the disciples, they come in land, they got through this storm, horrible storm, they almost died, they get through the storm and they come to the shore, maybe they see this man, I wonder if they're like, now what? You know, now what? You know, I, sometimes have we thought the same thing? We've gone through some trials, we've gone through some trials, and then all of a sudden right around the corner, the next thing that happens is another thing, and probably you thought that too, it's like, now what God, now what? I like what T. Levitt said, man's extremities are God's opportunities. Just like when they hit the storm, they're going to see something amazing with Jesus. Jesus is about to show them that um, how evil obstacles are really holy opportunities. And I like to look at it that way. Well, take a look here now, verse 28 and 30. When he saw, through 30, when he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him and said with a loud voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, do not torment me. For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man, for many a time it seized him. He was kept under guard and bound with chains and shackles, but he would break the bonds and be driven by the demon into the desert. Jesus then asked him, What is your name? And he said, Legion, for many demons had entered him. 
So now when this man comes to Jesus, we read here, the demon inside like cries out. The NLT, they say he shrieked and fell down before Jesus. So he's screaming. He's not just, ah, he's just, he's shrieked. He's screaming. I, I, I kind of, it's kind of like when um, my wife Kristen sees a spider and all of a sudden she shrieks. It's not crying out. She shrieked or a gecko or a centipede. Or a cockroach. But anyway, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, but, but, yeah, but I'm just giving you that idea of just the shrieking, right? That just, ah, when he sees Jesus now. When he sees Jesus. So he addresses Jesus. Look how he addresses Jesus. He comes before him with a loud voice and says, first he says, what have you, do, what have you to do with me? In other words, why are you here? Why are you coming here to me? I mean, out of all the places to land, Jesus goes there, and I believe specifically for this man, specifically to help and rescue this man. So he's like, why did you show up here? Why do you have to be here? You. And who is this? He recognizes him, Jesus, Son of the Most High God. Who does he see Jesus as? God. The Son. He sees Jesus as Lord God showing up. The demon recognizes him. And then he begs Jesus. Now, he says, I beg you, do not torment me. What is he saying? He's saying that don't punish me. Don't, don't, don't come and command and, and, and really throw me in demon prison like the demon jail. And we'll talk about that in a moment. So notice here, right here, that Jesus has all this authority over the demons, right? It, it only proves that Jesus is God, and they recognize him. James 2.19 says, You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Even the ge- demons sh- shake. I mean, uh, people say, oh, demons have, have faith in the sense they believe in God, right? They're not saved. But they know because they're fallen angels, right? We talked about that. They, they know who God is and they recognize Jesus right away. Well, in verse 29, Luke goes on and what he says is, what he didn't write down, that the demon saying this, for Jesus had already commanded the unclean spirit, this demon, to come out of the man. And then he gives a little comment, a little more what this man was tormented with. It's funny, right? The demon's like, don't torment me. But look at what the demon did to this man. For many a time, it seized him, like, like grabbed him and, and took control, maybe even threw him down. He was kept under guard and bound with chains and shackles. So the people, maybe officials, he was, he was doing too much damage or whatever. They grabbed him trying to you know, bind him with chains. But he would break the bonds with some superhuman strength here and be driven by the demon into the desert. So the demon would just drive him out to the wilderness, into the desert where no one was. And, and that's why he's living in the tombs and everything. So basically, he was being tormented, this man, by the demon. And here the demon saying, oh, why, what are you going to do, torment me? Here's a man, basically, be a man beyond any hope. But Jesus came specifically to him. I like that. So Jesus asks him now, Jesus asks him, verse 30, What is your name? He said, Legion, for many demons had entered him. Now, a Roman legion consists of 3,000 to 6,000 soldiers. 
So it would seem that in this particular man wasn't just one demon or a couple demons, but there could be thousands of them, 3,000, maybe 6,000. I mean, that's the Roman legion, but there's probably thousands and thousands and thousands of demons inside of him. These spirit beings, these fallen angels, were inside of him, dwelling inside of him, had possessed him and taken control of this man. But the mighty army of demons inside this man was no match in the presence of the mighty God. They're falling down. Why? Don't torment me, right? Isn't this great? Romans 8.31 says, What then shall we say to these things if God is for us? Who can be against us? We know the power of Jesus here. So, the strange reception was met with a stronger power, and that's Jesus. And I want you to see that. I want you to, I want you to let that sink into you tonight. Jesus is a lot more powerful than anything a demon can do, nor thousands and thousands of demons. They are still under his command. They are still bowing down to him. They still recognize Jesus as God, the most high God, the the Son of God. You know, when I was about nine years old, my um, neighbor and I, my friend, uh, Walter Nakamura, we went riding on our bikes around our house and on the other side of the street and, and, and actually a couple streets down. And suddenly um, these, these two older kids, I think, I mean, I, I was probably elementary school or something, and these two older kids, they were probably in high school, and they, all of a sudden they basically jumped, on, jumped us and, and was trying to grab us and everything. They just surprised us, came out of nowhere. And, and, and right when we were riding, they, they were grabbing us. And m- my friend Walter struggled, and he got away. But I, I didn't get away. And so one of them would hold my arms behind my back. The other one was, was punching me. They took out a knife and, like, like sliced the, the, my tires on my bike and made them flat. And, and, and they're just all being aggressive like that, right? And, and um, it was interesting. Since my friend got away, they kept looking down the street. They kept looking down, you know. And, and then uh, just, just minutes later, all of a sudden, I'll never forget this. Like, here comes my friend riding on his bike coming toward me. And behind him was my dad. He was riding one of our old bikes, and I still remember, like, pedaling. His leg, legs were bowled out like this because it was small, and he's coming down. And, and then these guys, you know, they had kept looking because my friend had gotten away. And they're like, who's that? Who's that? And I said, that's my dad. And, and you know, and then, oh, we got to go, you know. And so they started to run away. And, and at that moment, I, I felt real brave, so I started calling them names and saying all this stuff. One of the kids wanted to turn around, and the other guys, no, let's go, we got to go, we got to go, you know. And, and you know, I, I had all this confidence, you know, because my dad was coming and everything like that. But you know what? Think about that, yeah? No matter what the demons may do, Jesus is much more powerful, and they run and flee. They have nothing on Jesus. Jesus commands them. They bow down to them. So know this. There is no fear in Jesus. Find comfort and security in Jesus. You're a child of God if you believe in Christ, right? You're a child of God. And so the Father will take care of his children. And when he's around, oh, the demons have nothing over you. You know, Demon activity is real. It is very real. We don't, 
maybe recognize it. Maybe we don't see it as much. I mean, I, I have friends and missionaries in other countries that see a lot more. But it's, it's very real. And as we're talking about all this, it may give you a little, you know, fear. But understand this right here. Jesus is much more powerful. And we're going to see the commanding power of Jesus. And even in the strange reception with this demon, we're going to see Jesus. He's going to overcome them. Already we're seeing that anyway, right? They're bowing down. All right, let's go to number two, the strange request. The strange request. Uh, Verse 31 through 33 here in this section. Let's take a look at those three verses. And they begged him not to command them to depart into the abyss. Now a large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him to let them enter these. So he gave them permission. Then the demons came out of the man and entered the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and drowned. So these demons now, they begged Jesus here in verse 31, not to command them to depart into the abyss. The abyss, another word for that, is that bottomless pit. We're going to see that in the book of Revelation later as we get to the end of that on our studies on Sunday. But that's basically this demon prison there. In the book of Revelation, you want to know something crazy? Uh, in the tribulation years, uh, we find that, that that prison, that bottomless pit, this abyss is opened up for these demons to come out. That's crazy. And, and that the world is going to experience that later. But anyway, they're like, no, don't throw us in that demon jail. No, no, don't banish us there, you know, in that way. And so they begged him not to do that. And then there was near them a large herd of pigs that were feeding on the hillside. And so they begged him, well, let us go into the pigs. Let us go into the pigs. And so... So Jesus gave them permission to go in there, and then the demons came out of the man, entered the pigs, and the pigs, the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and drowned. When, as they went off the cliff, they did a swine dive. <laughs> there, there they went. They died. So you see the commanding power of Jesus where the demons had to submit to him. Now, I don't know about you, but in reading this passage here, it does bring up some questions right here, right in this moment. Do demons need to, like, possess some living beings, whether it's a human being or an animal, you know? Is that why, well, we'll cast us there, cast us there. Um, I, no, I don't think so. I mean, the, the demon spirits can, can go in and out of dimensions and be in different places, but, but for some reason, rather than going to the abyss, they said, well, well, just send us in there, you know. Send us to the pigs then. I think that was more the idea here. Did the pigs go crazy with the demons because the demons went into the pigs, or, or did, the, did the demons cause them to kill themselves? We don't know exactly what went on there. Interesting that... Uh, Mark tells us there was like 3,000 or 2,000 pigs and these maybe a couple thousand or 3,000 demons went all into these pigs. Kind of interesting. After the pigs died, where did Legion go then? I don't know. Maybe they ended up in abyss. Maybe they went out, you know, to do other things that Satan wanted them to do. It's not super clear on what's going on with these things and what we're reading here. But there is three super clear things that I want to give you about the strange request of these demons. 
And, and I want to give you three things. Number one is demons cannot do anything without permission. Do you notice that? Notice in verse 32, at the end, they begged Jesus, right? And then it says, so he, Jesus, gave them permission. They cannot do anything without God allowing them. So we know God is sovereign, right? In control. And in his purpose and plans, he will allow things, right? Remember, Satan came to God asking God if he could uh, uh, torment or, you know, get after Job in the book of Job. Demons cannot do anything without permission. I think about Jeremiah 10, 6. It says, there is none like you, O Lord. You are great and your name is great in might. You know what that's talking about? There's no one higher. There's none like you. There's no one higher. You're great. There's no one greater than you. There's no one mightier than you. That's what Jeremiah is saying. So rest assured, demons cannot do anything without permission. There's a second thing I want you to see here. Number two is demons can possess living beings. Obviously, we see he can with animals. Yeah, these demons can with animals. And and. And he can with people, too. You know what I've learned from the Bible and, and different testimonies from pastors and reading about things that, that um, uh, uh, even pastors who were once possessed, you know, before they came to Christ. Uh, what it seems like, what happens is people open themselves up to demonic possess- possession. Whether it's like dabbling in the occult or... Or, or opening themselves, maybe like through drugs, and uh, maybe people have allowed even to, during that time, to even invite and welcome demons to come inside of them and take control. Sometimes it's this desire to connect with the higher being or the spirit or something like that. And they seek that out, and they actually give permission and allow that spirit or de- a demon to come into them. So it's real stuff that happens. And we're, we, we've already been reading how Jesus had cast out many demons of different people. But here, specifically, we're looking at this one guy. You know, that whole spirit world, is, it's real. And, and sometimes people play around with that. You know, oh, ooh, you know, poltergeist stuff and all this. But it's real stuff. And you don't want to open yourself up, you know, to, to a spirit coming in. And understand, if you're a believer, if you're a Christian... Um, you have the Holy Spirit indwelling in you. And darkness cannot be with the light. So a Christian, one Christian, a Christian cannot be demons possessed because they have the Holy Spirit. That's what Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians. But it's nothing to be played around with. I remember when I was small, before I was a Christian, um, when my sister and I, we were kids, someone like gave us one of those Ouija boards, you know, and um, we didn't know what it was. And, and you're supposed to put your both, you know, two hands and the other person, two hands on this little, little um, kind of thing that has a, a glass in the middle. And then there's a board with letters and numbers. And it's supposed to move and, get, you know, spell out a message and everything like that. And we sat there for a while. We're just, they said, just sit there, the instructions. Thing. This, this was like Milton Bradley or someone. Wanted, it's so weird, you know. It's, Someone buys it like it's, it's like Monopoly, like a game. But 
It's really pretty evil. It's like calling on the spirit world. It's calling demons, really. So we sat there with our fingers on there, you know, on there. She was on one side, I was on the other side, on that little thing in the middle. And we're sitting there, and all of a sudden it starts moving. And all of a sudden I go, you moved, didn't you? She goes, no, you moved it. No, I didn't move it. And I was like, forget this. And I just packed it up and put it away in a closet. It was too weird and creepy. But it's real, you guys. People play with those things. And there's real demonic things going on. I, I say stay far away, you guys, from that. Don't even dabble in it. Don't even make it an entertainment. That stuff is real. And they're going to... Demons will try and keep pulling you and pulling you into their crazy world. Well, so, number one, demons cannot do anything without permission. Pretty clear, demons can possess living beings. And number three, demons, demons, the demon's ultimate intent is destroying lives. The demon's ultimate intent is destroying lives. I mean, we see it here. It's obviously with the pigs, right? They go into the pigs, and what do they do? They just run off the cliff, and they're, they're dead. And think about that. Isn't that what Satan's strategy is anyway, right? J.R. Packer wrote, Satan has no constructive purpose of his own. His tactics are simply to thwart God and destroy man. We know Jesus said, you know, Satan is a liar and he's come. He's a thief. He's come to, to kill, destroy, right? And so, and so we know, of course, the demons are under his command. And so that's what they're after. We see it right here. Demons' ultimate intent is destroying lives. There's this old story of a scorpion who, being unable to swim, once asked a turtle to carry him on his back across the river. Are you crazy? The turtle said, You'll sting me while I'm swimming and I'll drown. And the scorpion laughed, Ah, oh, my dear turtle, if, if I were to sting you, you would drown and I will go down with you. Now, where's the logic in that? You're right, said the turtle. Hop on. So the scorpion climbed aboard the turtle and halfway across the river, the scorpion gave the turtle a mighty sting. <laughs> the turtle began to sing. He asked, After your promise, your logic, why did you sting me? The scorpion said, it has nothing to do with logic. It's just my nature. And that's what demons are. They're here to destroy you. So understand that. They're not something to play with. Well, let's go to number three now, the strange rejection. In this commanding power of Jesus, we see the strange reception, the strange request. But now, here's the interesting thing, the strange rejection of the people from the town. We'll cover the rest of our verses from 34 to 39, but take a look at 34. It says, When the herdsmen saw what had happened, they fled and told it in the city and in the country. Then people went out to see what had happened, and they came to Jesus and found a man with, from whom the demons had gone, sitting at the feet of Jesus, I like that, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it, it told them how the demon-possessed man had been healed. Then all the people of the surrounding country of the Gerasenes <laughs> asked him to depart from them, for they were seized with great fear. He got into the boat and returned. Now, isn't this crazy? So the herdsmen, they saw what happened. 
the ones who owned these were watching over the pigs, right? They, they saw the pigs. So off the cliff, they saw everything, the, all the conversation that happened between Jesus and the demons, and the demons going in the pigs, and the pigs running off the cliff, and they're dead. And so they run into the city, and they tell everyone what's going on. Then the people come back out to see what's going on. And they see the guy, the guy who everyone knew who this guy was. There he is, sitting at the feet of Jesus, calm, not going crazy, clothed now, not naked, running around, and in his right mind. I like that. Yeah. God delivered him. Jesus rescued him and healed him and there he is at the feet of jesus i i just love that and so on seeing the healed man look at that look 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 at that at the end of verse 35 it says and they were afraid is that interesting they did not say praise god right they didn't have to say oh what joy this guy is healed but they were afraid can you imagine them running you know, down over there to the shore there? And they come upon, they see a group of men and some boats along the shore, shore there. you know. And then in the waters, think about that in the water right now. There's thousands and thousands of dead pigs just floating there, right? And here's this guy that they knew, a crazy guy. Everyone was fearful of, fearful of him. He's sitting there right in front of Jesus in his right mind, just sitting there, clothed and like normal. Even after being told of the power of Jesus, of what the herdsmen told them what happened, they were still afraid. And what happened? They heard more of the story, what's going on, and then all the people, it says in verse 37, asked him to depart from them, for they were seized with great fear. And so Jesus left them. Why were they so afraid? Isn't that crazy? Why, why did they ask Jesus to leave? Why, why such the strange rejection? Well, I think there's three possible reasons. I'll give this to you. Number one, it could be economic reasons. Think about 2,000 pigs were lost, or two, three, yeah, 2,000 pigs, and the loss of in- income. How are we going to provide? Is, is Jesus going to destroy more and, and you know, take away all that? Sometimes, you know, people are more concerned with their money than who Jesus is. I mean, we see it all the time. People rather work than come church, you know. Work than seek Him because they're so concerned and they push Jesus aside. Which really leads us to the next reason. It could be for number two, material reasons, right? I mean, just like with the money, but this was a big loss of investment right for all the people that invested in the pigs it's a loss of profits uh, um, it was a change of of, of of a way of life maybe they had to protect their investment their things yeah and and they didn't want to lose these I, we, I, we get some more pigs we don't want to lose them you know what's sad to me how they valued money and material investment and possessions more than this man's life more than a human life more than this possessed man. They didn't really care about his well-being. And thirdly, it could be, you know what, for conscience reasons. Conscience reasons. Now, some even speculate that perhaps some of these herdsmen, 
Even though the nearby city was Gentile, but these near these herdsmen, maybe they were actually Jews, and the Jewish people, you know, at that they couldn't eat meat, right, according to the Old Testament law. But yet, some speculate they were raising pigs to sell to the Gentiles in the city nearby and make a profit, and so they lost their quote unquote contraband, and perhaps all of this brought light to their deeds. So they didn't want Jesus around. Some people are like that. Oh, I'm I'm being too convicted. Get away from me, right? You know. Oh no, yeah, yeah. You know, I don't want Jesus. No, no, I don't want that. Why is that? Because people like their sin. That's why. Turn over to John, John chapter three. John chapter three, verse nineteen and twenty. Jesus made a comment there too. John about this. John chapter 3, verse 19. He says here, And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light, because their works were evil. And in verse 20, For everyone who does wicked things hates the light, and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. You see, if you're really into the sin, if you're really into, you know, that, what you like, you don't like it when right is shine on you, when the light of God and truth is shine on you. You don't like that, yeah? Because you like your darkness. You like that dark corner. And perhaps this was it. Perhaps this, this was what was happening. The practices were being exposed. You know, as we talk about, going back to Luke, this passage Perhaps a lot of stuff we're talking about, maybe even just this fact of you're not wanting to be exposed, and that's why, oh, you're rejecting some people in your life. Maybe that's why, oh, you're staying away from church, or maybe that's why you don't really want to pick up the Bible, because you're, you're being convicted, and, oh, but yeah, you don't want to deal with that now. It's too hard. It's too heavy. Maybe, maybe it's kind of dealing with some things that's painful, to you, like unforgiveness or hurt or something. You don't want to deal with that because you know what God wants you to do. But know this. Jesus brings the light upon you, not to condemn you, but to convict you and bring you to the cross. Jesus brings the light because he loves you and he knows what that darkness is doing. So know, know that, that if this was the case in this story, that maybe these herdsmen, they were really Jewish guys profiting on the Gentiles, selling the pigs and all that, and then all of a sudden it's brought to light, and their conscience was bothering them. It wasn't. It, it, Jesus, maybe all this happened, so he was trying to reach them and bring them to God. Well, our last two verses here, verse 38. The man from whom the demons had gone begged that he might be... Uh, with him, but Jesus sent them away, saying, "Return to your home and declare how much God has done for you." And he went away, proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. So, right here, when Jesus was leaving, the the town, the city people, or the townspeople, were like, "Get out. no, we don't want you, Jesus, get out." So he's leaving. So you can imagine, right? Here's the man who was healed of the demons. He begged Jesus, let me go with you. I want to go with you. I mean, I wouldn't blame him if they're rejecting Jesus. Aren't they going to reject him? Right? 
I mean, they're not nice to him already, and plus, he wants to be with the Lord. But Jesus says, you know what? Return to your home, first of all. Go back. Go back to your family. Who knows? Maybe he had a wife. Maybe he had some kids. Maybe, you know, relatives or his parents. But he's saying, go back to them. And when you go back to them, number two, share what God has done. Share what Jesus has done, uh, delivering you. So, I like what it says here. The man did that exact thing. So, even with this strange rejection, Jesus sent this man to them as a witness. Isn't that great? Isn't that great, God's heart? And, and, and Jesus knew this, too. The people in that city could not reject the healing of this man. Maybe they could reject Jesus and they didn't want him, him to be around because he might do some more things. Maybe they, they, they didn't barely, you know, I don't know what happened, you know, how this even happened. But for this man that they knew, probably maybe was born and raised in that city, I don't know, that they knew that had been demon-possessed, crazy, all these who knows however long, he comes back, you know, all healed, delivered, okay. That they cannot reject what happened there, right? It, it would stare them in the face, his testimony. So he would, he would go back. He would be the miracle. He would be the message saying, look, this really happened. And so I think this man would be a very effective witness. I think he was to go and show God's love. Yeah. Even though they pushed Jesus aside, Jesus still sent him. He said, Jesus sent me back because God loves you. There's hope in God. So it brings us to our last point here. The delivered man would extinguish any fears showing no one is beyond the love and grace of God in Jesus. So whether their conscience was bothering, whether uh, they're looking more into the material, Jesus was trying to wake them up to the fact that God loves you. There's hope in God. God can save you. So this man would extinguish any fears, showing no one is beyond the love and grace of God in Jesus. Martin Luther divine evangelism by saying this, preaching the gospel is one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. So here's this guy going, look, I was the worst of the worst. Yeah, Look at me. God saved me. Jesus saved me. And he can go to the other people. Look, you can be saved too. You can be saved from your bondage. You can, maybe there's other demon-possessed people, maybe, or oppressed people. Maybe there's some strange things going on. But he can go and help them and give them hope. Because if Jesus could save him, right? He could save anybody. This man's testimony, I believe, would be the very thing they needed. And you know what I think about? I think about you and I. When God sends us. God, I, I, want, I, want, to go, I want to be with you over here. God, I, I want to say, no, I want you to do this. I want you to go over there. But I'm comfortable here. <laughs> no, I want you to do that. I want you to go there. See, God may have you going to a certain people who need to hear your testimony, who need to see what God has done with you, who specifically they need what you needed and where God had helped you. So know this. 
God, when God sends you, he sends you with that purpose. To minister the light of Jesus to exactly to the people who Jesus wants you to minister to. To who he sends you to. So know that. Know that with confidence. Don't second guess yourself like, oh, Jesus, I, I'd rather just stay here, you know. I feel you more here. Oh, you want me to go there? Don't go. And do what this man did. He did exactly, yeah, what Jesus told him to do. And he proclaimed what Jesus had done. And you and I, each one of us, we have a powerful testimony to the powerful work of God in our life. No matter what, you guys. With the life of Christ in us, how he freed us from the bondage of sin, how he heals our hurts and our pains and makes us whole again, how the Holy Spirit comes within us and, and we become this new person. We, we do, we say things we, we never could before. We become a, a person, a real person that loves and, and, and that, that cares for others when maybe you didn't before. We have a testimony, you guys, of being forgiven of our sins and knowing we have eternal life in heaven coming. That, that's the light of Christ. We have a testimony that God loves me even when my sin, He loved me and died for me. He loves me now even when I fail Him now. I'm not perfect. Sometimes we think, oh, we got to put on that perfect show. And then when we don't or we fail, we're like all shame and feel like, oh, forget it. I can't be a light. But you know what? Probably one of the biggest testimony is being honest and yeah, hey, I'm sorry I said that to you. And maybe it's an unbeliever and you're all embarrassed, like what a bad witness I was. But to come and say you're sorry, please forgive me. I'm gonna, I've been trying to do better. Who says that, right? That's a testimony in itself. To say, you know what, oh, I went to God and he forgave me, but I want you to forgive me. I'm, I'm so sorry. Yeah. God loves me. I f- I'm finding God loving me so much, even in this. I want, I want you to, I'm so sorry. I mean, that, that's a powerful testimony there. So wherever God sends you, wherever God has you, wherever God is, 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 wants you to be, that's where he wants to use you with the testimony of Jesus, what he's done in your life. I'll close with this. Many years ago, this um, Chinese man, Chang Sen, was a gambler. He was a thief. He stole all the time, a womanizer. And then he lost his eyesight. He heard of a missionary hospital and traveled hundreds of miles where uh, he was able to get treated by doctors. Chang's vision was partially restored, but at the hospital, he was introduced and, and and they shared with him about Jesus Christ. And you know what? He received Jesus in his heart. Well, his life totally changed. Chang was um, then encouraged, you know what? Go home. Go back home. Tell your family and your neighbors what Jesus had done for you. So he did. He went back home. And uh, five months later, when a missionary visited his house back home, hundreds of people have come had come to Jesus Christ in his hometown. He then, Chang, began to travel from village to village sharing Jesus, and hundreds and hundreds of more people came to know Jesus. But then the Boxer Rebellion started, which is the communist takeover of the country, 
And during that time, as I mentioned, I think Sunday, there was Christian persecution broke out. You know, people were being killed. Missionaries were chased out of China and all. And Chang was arrested and brought to um, a cemetery out of all places. And all the while, they grabbed him or dragging him. He was singing, Jesus loves me, this I know. The soldiers brought him to this graveyard and they shoved him down in the kneeling position. And Chang just prayed and said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And the soldiers took, took an, uh, a sword and just sliced his neck open. And he died. Of course, he went to heaven. But the story doesn't end there. The soldiers were so shaken, powerfowerfully shaken by Chang's like quiet, uh, humbleness, his loving reverence, his, his love for God, that they got scared and ran away. And because of that, may, they say many lives of Christians were saved that day in that village. What made Chang's executioners run? I think they saw the power of God in this simple guy's life. Yeah? He wasn't anything, but there was something in him that made them run. There's something about him in the way he died made them run. And I think they saw the power of God in his life. And that's what Jesus does in our life, right? And so let's trust in whatever situation you're in, demonic or not. Let's trust in the commanding power of Jesus. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for, once again, your word. We thank you, God, that you are here, Lord. You're moving in our midst, God. You're revealing to us who you are even more and more each day, every week, God, as we open your word. And God, as we see your commanding power, even over thousands and thousands of demons, how they have to bow to you, how they tremble before you, how they're afraid of you, God. Lord, may we not fear, Lord, the things that demons may do to us. Lord, we are secure in your arms. We are protected and shielded under your wings, as the psalmist says. And so, Lord, we find great comfort in this story that you are higher, mightier, greater, and that we can trust in you that no matter what goes on, Lord, you are still in control and you command, Lord, even these demons. And Lord God, as we look toward to this man who was delivered and healed, I like how you sent him back home, Lord, how you sent him to to proclaim the things that God has done, what you had done for him, Jesus. And let us do that, God, wherever you send us, Lord. May, may we not stay comfortable, but may we do as this man did, exactly, to go and proclaim and to shine the light, especially in this dark world that's full of demonic activity, that's full of people suffering under that. That's full of people who are in bondage to their sin, God. And may we show how you can free people of sin. Lord God, you give us the ability. You give us the, the, the words to say. It's by the power of your spirit we do these things, God. And so, Lord, we want to rest in you. So help us, God, to step up, 
step out and to shine the light as you want us to do and speak your name, Jesus. Lord, we know that what you've done in our lives is probably, God, the greatest testimony of what a person can do or what a God can do in a person who has done so wrong. And I I look at that in my own life. So, Lord, give us that courage and the power to do what you want us to do as you send us out. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's all stand.